Welcome to another episode of Theology.fm. I'm your host, Jeremy Myers. I don't know about you, but I've been struggling with the issue of the violence of God for, I don't know, uh, probably my whole life to one degree or another. But I've been seriously struggling with the violence of God, the issue of the violence of God, how to understand the violence of God in the Bible, really, probably seriously for the last five years or so. And I'm about 200,000 words into a book on the subject. And at this point, uh, there's no end in sight. I'm not sure even if that book will ever see the light of day. It seems like the further I go, the more complex and difficult the issue becomes. I do think I have some um, headway, a sort of a light at the end of the tunnel. But what that means, though, is most of those 200,000 words I'm just going to have to hit my delete button on because I've sort of come up with a conclusion, uh, a way of explaining the violence of God that basically makes all those words worthless. Anyway, though, as I work towards a solution, a way to understand the violence of God in the Old Testament, I always appreciate reading books, hearing messages from other pastors, scholars, theologians who are struggling with the issue as well. And one of those pastors and theologians is Pastor Brian Zond. Uh, His message, the message I'm going to bring you today, is called Death of the Monster God. And I was really excited to hear it. It provides great insight and clarity into how to understand the violence of God uh, in Scripture, and especially, specifically, what God did about it in the death of Jesus on the cross. I really, really loved this sermon, and I know you will too. Uh, Brian Zahn, in case you don't know him, he's the founder and lead pastor of Word of Life Church. It's a non-denominational Christian congregation in St. Joseph, Missouri. Uh, This uh, church was founded by Brian and his wife, Perry, in 1981. Brian is the author of numerous books, including A Farewell to Mars and uh, Radical Forgiveness, as well as some others. Uh, You can learn more about Brian by visiting his website, brianzand, Z-A-H-N-D.com. And there's links... Uh, at theology.fm slash Zond slash 06. You can learn about his uh, uh, Facebook page or there's a link to his website, link to his books, link to uh, Twitter and, and other things like that. Well, even his own podcast on iTunes. So, so go over there and uh, you can learn more about Brian that way. Uh, this episode of theology.fm is brought to you by Logos Bible Software. If you don't have a base package of Logos yet, you should go get one. And if you do, use my coupon code JMyers6. If you do that, you'll get 15% off your purchase. And that'll be big savings for you. I'm happy to pass that on to you. I've often stated on my own blog and even on my own podcasts, uh, one of the most important questions we can ask in life is, what is God like? Uh, It's the implicit question at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, and it also is the implicit question which travels with the reader throughout Scripture. Um, Most people throughout history including most Christians, uh, especially during the past 1,700 years or so, 
have, uh, in my opinion, have sort of viewed God a little bit like, or maybe a lot like, the Greek god Zeus. I don't know if you've seen these pictures of Zeus online or anything. I'll include some in the show notes, but he's this, you know, all-powerful, angry deity who sits up there in the heavens and he's sort of, uh, you know, (laughs) sort of pissed off at humanity, just waiting to hurl a lightning bolt down here and incinerate us. He sits there, he's got this scowl on his face, his his uh, eyebrows are closely knitted together, and he's just he's just angry at all of our screw-ups and all of our sin. And, uh, you know, when he, when he stands up, it's with this accusatory finger, and he's got this arm raised, and he's just ready to smash us all. And, and, and that's sort of how Zeus is portrayed and a lot portrayed, and a lot of people view God in the same way. He's this, this angry God, this violent God, this God who just hates these sinners down on earth. He's the accusatory God, vengeful God, vindictive God. And uh, that's the God of popular religion, not just pagan religion, but Christian religion as well. Most of us have grown up with that image of God, that portrayal of God in one form or another. And and there's good reason for why we've grown up with that portrayal of God. I mean, there's lots of portrayals of that sort of God all over in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. Uh, and that the Old Testament, especially various passages, seem to pretty clearly indicate that that is indeed what God is like. So that's why when Jesus comes along, a lot of people were a little confused. Uh, is this? And he claimed, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And yet Jesus didn't reveal or portray any of that sort of anger or violence that most people expected, that most people were uh, looking for in God. And even today, people say, well, that aspect of God is present in Jesus, but uh, we'll see it at the end times in the book of Revelation, you know, when, when God returns and incinerates everybody and, and, and the battle of Armageddon and blood up to the horses' bridles and all of that. And, and so you see, even today, even though Jesus came and revealed none of this violence in the Gospels, uh, we're still looking for it. We're still thinking that is what God is like. Uh, but, but, but Jesus... During his life, during his ministry, he never engages in any of that violence. He never retaliates against anyone. He never hurts anyone, harms anyone. Instead, Jesus always forgives, always blesses, and always loves. And then, on the cross, Jesus dies. And he dies for, for us. He, he dies for our sins, uh, and again, uh, theology of, of popular Christianity, some, some versions of it anyway, say, yeah, well, Jesus died to appease an angry God. God was angry at us for our sin, and someone had to pay, and it was either us us or Jesus. And thank, you know, God uh, was so loving that uh, he took his anger out on Jesus instead. Um, but uh, this sort of <laughs> brings up other problems. It makes God sort of a, a child abuser. Uh, he sought to reveal to us what God is like and, and what God has always been like. Uh, and the truth is, it's we who always wanted someone to pay for everything that's God wrong in the world. It was we who wanted someone to blame. And so God, in the person of Jesus Christ, stepped into our world and, and basically said, here, here I am. Blame me. Kill me. And of course we did, and we do. 
we continue to blame God for the things that go wrong in this world and in our lives. The question is, is why did God do that? Especially in, in Jesus. Why did he allow his son to be killed by us? Why did he allow us? Why does he allow us to blame him? And here's the truth. Jesus did this. God did this. Because that's what he is like. This is what God does. This is what God has always been doing. And that's what Jesus reveals on the cross. On the cross, the religious portrayal of a monster God was put to death. And this monster God was replaced with a beautiful picture of a merciful God who always loves and always forgives. Anyway, if this concept is new to you, and I know I know, there's so many objections. What, Jeremy, are you saying that, per, that per portrayal of God in the Old Testament is wrong? No, I'm not saying that. Are you saying that Revelation, you know, Jesus isn't coming again? No, I'm not saying that. I know there's objections. I know there's questions. Okay, and that's why this, that book I'm trying to write is getting longer and longer. But anyway, listen, if this concept is new to you, the following message by Brian Zahn will, it will explain more. It's sort of an introduction Uh, But it it will get into more detail, and it's going to basically provide you with further evidence that God is not angry at you. That's what we need to, the the first idea, the first thing we need to understand is God is not angry. He is not out to get you, to punish you, to hurl lightning bolts at you, to smush you under his thumb, nothing like that. The truth is, and this is the premise, the first truth of theology, the monster God does not exist And he never has. The only God that does exist is the God that looks like Jesus. That's exactly what Brian Zond is going to say in this message, The Death of the Monster God. So let me get out of the way and hand the mic over to Brian Zond. Let's tune in and see what he has to say. My message this morning is entitled, Death of the Monster God. Death of the monster God. The the title will become apparent what I mean by that in due course. Death of the monster God. Luke 23, two verses. Verses 34 and and verse 46. Luke 23, verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Verse 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. This is the death of Jesus. And this is what we are moving toward during the seven weeks of Lent. We are moving toward Good Friday and the death of Jesus and then, of course, the Easter surprise. Now, as Jesus was crucified, he he speaks from the cross to his father on two occasions. These are enormously significant. As Jesus was being nailed to the cross, Jesus asks his father to forgive his murderers. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then as Jesus dies, he commits his spirit into the hands of his father. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Twice on the cross, 
Jesus addresses God as Father. So what is this Father like, this Father of Jesus? I mean, the question is this. What is God like? This is what theology is all about, ultimately. You may say, I'm I'm not interested in theology, but you probably are. I mean, if if you've ever formed an opinion in your mind about God, if you've ever said, I think God is like this or that, you are doing theology. So what is this father of Jesus like? It's an enormously important question. What is God like? In some ways, that's what we're doing Sunday after Sunday, is we're coming together and trying to come to some consensus about what is God like? It's an important question. I mean, is God hard to please? Is he, well, dare I say it, is he, is he vicious? Is he malicious? Is he vengeful? Is he malevolent? Dare, dare I say it? Is God a kind of monster? I know many people, including many Christians, who deep down think so. That if they were ever honest enough to speak from their heart, they would tell you that in the end, God is difficult, hard to please, vengeful. But are they right? Is this what God is like? Is God a kind of terrifying monster? Though we would never say that. If we think he's a monster, we certainly wouldn't say that to him. Lest his wrath break out against us. Now, I know you can, if you want to, if you want to, you can cobble together verses from here and there throughout the Bible and present that picture, if you are so inclined. If you want to believe that God is a monster God, I can show you how to do it and use the Bible, if that's what you want. Or, is God love? Is God... A vengeful monster avenging himself upon sinners with omnipotent fury? Or is God love showing infinite love supremely and unconditional forgiveness? Because I can also show you how to do that with the Bible. And you could, you could split up in teams and have a war over it. And fight one another. Is God a merciful God who, like Jesus shows mercy in forgiving sinners? Or is God a monster God who delights in the unmerciful punishment of sinners? These are real questions. And ultimately, ultimately, they find their answer at the cross. Ultimately, if we want to know what God is like, we gather at the cross. That's where we're going to find our answers. When we look at the death of Jesus on the cross, of course, in the light of resurrection, because that's the only light by which we can possibly understand the death of Jesus. When we look at the death of Jesus on the cross, we are looking at our salvation. I think every Christian would agree with that. Amen. When we look at Jesus on the cross, what are we looking at? We are looking at our salvation. Everybody that calls himself a Christian is going to agree with that statement. 
But what are we looking at when we see Jesus on the cross? What, what is that saying? Because there are different ways of interpreting this. Are we looking at the appeasement of a monster god through barbaric child sacrifice? Did the killing of Jesus finally put God in a good mood? Was he filled with omnipotent fury until he was finally appeased by a perfect sacrifice? Or are we seeing something else when we look at the cross? In fact, just the opposite. Is the cross a symbol of divine vengeance or divine love? Okay, I'm going to lay my cards on the table. I'm going to just tell you straight up that when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, he is not asking God to act contrary to his nature. When Jesus says, Father, forgive them, the Father does not react, okay, all right, okay. For your sake, Jesus, I'll do it. But it's for your sake. Not for theirs. When Jesus asks the Father to forgive them, he is not asking the Father to do something that is contrary to his nature. Rather, when Jesus asks the Father to forgive, Jesus is doing what Jesus always does. He is revealing the very heart and nature of God. Jesus is the Jesus Jesus is what God is like. That is such good news. Jesus is what God is like. So that when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, the Father says, Of course, son. Of course. The cross is not about the satisfaction of a vengeful monster God. The cross is the full revelation of a supremely merciful God because among the many meanings of the cross, and there is not one meaning, if you try, if you try to say the cross means this and this alone, that's it, I'm done with it, I, don't, I think you can't do that. But among the many meanings of the cross is this. We discover in Christ a God who would rather die than kill his enemies. And that's not a monster. Once we know that God is revealed in Christ, we know we are seeing, we know what we're seeing when we look at the cross. That's, that's the key thing. If you, want to, if you want to look at the cross right... You can't say, okay, well, this is where God is doing something to Jesus so that God can change his mind. Rather, what you must understand is that Jesus, every moment of his life, is revealing, 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 revealing the Father. And John goes to laborious lengths in his gospel to make this clear. In nearly every chapter, 
he has Jesus say something like, I only do what my Father does. If you knew me, you would know the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I always do my Father's will. So that when we look at the cross, what we are seeing is not something that God is doing to Jesus, but we are seeing the ultimate revelation of what God is like. So, let's say it this way. The cross is where God in Christ absorbs sin that reaches its culmination. It coalesces in this this pinnacle of the greatest crime of all time where our creator incarnate comes among us and we kill him. Our benevolent creator comes to us and we kill him. And he absorbs that. He doesn't fight back. He could, you know. He is omnipotent, you know. He could, but he doesn't. He absorbs our sin that we sin into. He bears our sins that we violently sin into. him, And he forgives and recycles our sin into love and grace. Wow. The crucifixion is not what God inflicts upon Christ in order to forgive. That is a terrible way of misunderstanding the cross. The crucifixion is not what God inflicts upon Christ. Well, I can't forgive unless I... Okay, I got that out of my system. As if God is not forgiving in nature. No. The crucifixion is what God endures in Christ as He forgives. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The crucifixion is not something that God does to Jesus in order to forgive. The crucifixion, how do I say it? The crucifixion is what God endures in Christ as he forgives. And if you need to make that adjustment in the way you think about the cross, please do and it will set you free. Now once we understand this, then we really do know what we are seeing when we look at the cross. We are seeing the lengths to which God will go to forgive sin. Therefore, the cross is this great paradox. It is both ugly and beautiful. It is the ugliest of human sin. There is an there is an ugliness to the cross. I mean, let's, 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 let's talk about what it is. It is nailing a man to a tree. How did we ever come up with that? What barbarism, what cruelty. That we would nail, I don't care you know, what they've done. You don't nail people to trees and hang them there until they die. That's ugly. And this is an innocent one. Not not just an innocent one. It's the innocent one. If there is one human being that deserves nothing bad to be done to them, it's this one, this Jesus of Nazareth. He is stripped. He is 
spit upon, he is beaten, and then he is nailed to a tree. That's ugly. But it's also beautiful. Because it's the gushing forth of God's divine love. His reaction to that is to forgive. I'm astounded. I'm laid waste. I'm undone. I can't. We do this to God? And his reaction is to forgive us? The cross is both ugly and beautiful. It's as ugly as human sin. It's as beautiful as God's love. But in the end, see, it's a collision of of human ugliness and the beauty of divine love. And they collide in that single moment. But in the end, love and beauty win. That's Easter. In the end, love and beauty win. It's, it's It's not like they're evenly matched. No. The love and beauty of God's divine love overwhelm the ugliness of human sin. And that's why crosses and crucifixes are in fact symbols of beauty. Now for eons, human beings have lived with an internalized vision of God as a monster God. But at the cross... Again, among the many meanings of the cross, and I don't want to just limit the cross to one thing, but among the many meanings of the cross, we see the death of the monster God, by which I mean we see the place where our wrong idea of God as a vengeful monster finally dies. Among the many meanings of the cross is this one, the death of our monstrous concept of God. Hallelujah. Now, as I have been saying throughout this series on the crucified God, Jesus does not save us from God. Jesus reveals God to us. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We haven't always known this, but now we do. Why? Because being disguised under the disfigurement of an ugly crucifixion and death, Christ upon the cross is paradoxically the clearest revelation of who God is. I said that last week. I said that the week before. And I'll say it next week and the next week and the next week. I'll say it every Sunday in this series. Jesus does not save us from the true and living God, but Jesus does save us from the emotionally damaging picture of the monster God. Somebody say hallelujah. Because I just just want to know, how how many of you, I want to know, it won't be everybody, there's going to be, but how many of you grew up with kind of a picture of a monster God? Yeah, it's more than half of you. And come on, that's hell. And you're thankful for Jesus. It's like, thank you, Jesus, for saving me from your dad. 
because I'm scared to death of that guy. That is not what's going on. That was pretty good. I'm going to have to remember that one. I need to write that down so I do it next service. I'm, I'm serious. I'm writing it down right now. Uh, saved from dad. Okay. I don't want to miss it. Okay, I got it. That's, that's not what's going on here. Jesus does save us from the emotionally damaging picture of the monster God. But where did this idea come from? Where did this monster God idea come from? Well, it came from the beginning. It got elaborated upon and built upon, but it came from the very beginning as we know the beginning. It came from our first parents. It came from a wrong reaction to original sin. Our first parents, I'm talking about Adam and Eve, were so afraid of God after they sinned that when God drew near, they hid from him out of fear. Now, this fear of God is not the healthy fear of the Lord that is the fountain of life that the book of Proverbs and Psalms talk about so frequently. That's, that is a kind of reverence, kind of a worship. That, that's, that's, you know, the, the child's uh, reverence for a loving father. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about uh, a fear that causes God's children to run away from him, to hide from him. This is a pathological anxiety that harms the soul. And it's prevalent in almost all forms of fundamentalism. Because fundamentalism is, in fact, I mean, one of the ways you can understand what it is, is it is fear-based religion. Whether in Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism. When you have people that are fear-based in their religion, that's what they're going to become. And then they raise their children in it and it gets passed on from generation to generation and it's a pathological anxiety that's very damaging to the soul. But the point is, the monster God is our own creation. We create the monster God from our projected issues. Our projected issues which which define the fallen human condition of anger, anxiety, and shame. I think I was saying this... Anxiety, anger, shame. Those things are all mixed up in us because of sin. Anxiety, you know, fear, worry, dread. Anger, we're just not happy that the world isn't the way we want it to be. And shame. Our own sense of failure, uh, our insecurity, our, our own just sense of our own unworthiness, our failure to live up to what we want to be. And we end up out of that internalized experience of anxiety, anger, and shame. We create the monster God. We project it outward. But it's born in our own hearts. Say it this way. The image of a terrifying God is born. B-O-R-N and you can add the E. That is, it is created and carried in the hearts of anxious people. So, so people, people who have an image of a terrifying God are in fact fearful people that are projecting that image on God. 
The image of a raging God is born in the hearts of angry people. The image of a condemning God is born in the hearts of ashamed people. You know, Westboro Baptist back in the news again. Their founder, Fred Phelps, died this week. You know what a study those folks are. And I have, I have nothing, I have deep, deep pity in my heart. I mean, how much anxiety and anger and shame must be there to create that kind of God. You see. I was glad to see that when um, oh, there was a concert, Lord was in concert, the one with the E at the end, not Jesus, but yeah, the, the young singer from Australia, Lord, or no, New Zealand. Uh, she was in concert in Kansas City, I don't know, this week. And of course, you know, Westboro Baptist felt their need to be there with their lovely signs. And some, some group of... Christians had got their own sign and they just stood there in front and said, sorry for your loss. And that was their sign, sorry for your loss. The image of the terrifying God is born in the hearts of anxious people. The image of the raging God is born in the hearts of angry people. The image of the condemning God is born in the hearts of ashamed people. Because we are such anxious Angry, ashamed people, we imagine horrors where we should be seeing help. We imagine horrors where we should be seeing help. We're running away from God when we should be running to God. But we run away from God because of our own anxiety and anger and shame that's in us. And then we project it and we think, I'm, I'm... I'm, I'm afraid God must be fearful. I'm angry. God must be mad too. I feel ashamed. God must be shaming everybody. And we project that onto God. The monster God is an angry, abusive, violent deity who must be appeased. Whether by throwing a virgin in a volcano or by divine child sacrifice, or by just constantly demanding that you be perfect. You didn't read your Bible enough. You didn't pray long enough. You only prayed 28 minutes. What kind of Christian are you? You should pray an hour. When was the last time you even read Obadiah? You call yourself a child of mine. I wrote you a book and you won't even read Obadiah. The monster God always has to be appeased. Throw the virgin in the volcano. Sacrifice the sun. You got to be perfect. Which is the origin, by the way, of most atheism. Most atheism is protest atheism. It's not truly founded in disbelief. It's founded in frustration. That such a God should not exist. And I'm very sympathetic with that kind of atheism. I understand. I don't think that's the way to react to it. I think there's a better way. I have good news for them. It's kind of hard to pull them out of that once they get stuck in there. 
but I understand how they got there. The Father of Jesus is not a monster God, hard to please, with anger issues, prone to violence. That God needs to ask Jesus into his heart. No, the Father of Jesus is the one who is demonstrated in the life of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? As Jesus goes about forgiving the sinner and healing the sick and welcoming the outcast and restoring the fallen and supremely in forgiving his killers at his crucifixion, he is revealing what God is like. And by the way, when we say that God forgives in Christ, that, that Christ forgives his killers, I don't want to just make that real narrow, you know, that it's those Roman soldiers, it's Pilate, it's Caiaphas. I mean, that includes all of us who implicitly and tacitly endorse systems of violent power and sacrificial religion, both of which conspired to put Jesus to death. Those of us that implicitly endorse and benefit from those systems, we too are implicated and we too are forgiven. We think God is like Zeus. Show me Zeus. There's Zeus. Zeus has always got a thunderbolt in his hand. He's almost always in the ancient iconography of the pagans. Depicted in two pot. I mean, he's, his hands are doing two things. His left hand is, and you see it kind of there. It's not really quite the way it usually is. His, his left hand is pointing an accusatory finger. And his right hand holds a thunderbolt. Oh, brother. And, and we go through life with that as a... Remember who Zeus is. Zeus is the, is the god of gods in the Greek pantheon. And we are all influenced by the Greeks. I mean, that has seeped into our thinking. We in the Western world are very much influenced by Greek mythology. And if you're in the Eastern world, they have their, 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 their same other versions of it. So there's no getting, getting around it. And so we are, we are somehow we are just raised even though we try not to, we are raised with this idea that God is constantly pointing an accusatory finger and holding a thunderbolt. And he's angry and he's hard to please. In fact, he demands perfection and you can't be perfect. And so he points his finger at you and he's ready to strike you down with that thunderbolt. And there are different reactions to that. One way is to create a fundamentalist religion where you say, well, he's pointing at everybody but me. He's pointing at all of them. And you join in pointing fingers and hurling thunderbolts so you can be on God's side. That's one way to react to it. Another way to react to it is to say, I don't believe in God. It's this protest. You don't exist. We think God is like Zeus in our fear. In our fear, we think God is like Zeus until we come to know that God is like Jesus. Now, how different is that? How different? 
That's where our concept of the monster God who points the accusatory finger with one hand and hurls a thunderbolt with the other hand dies. Because we, the other God, how many of you know Zeus doesn't exist? Hello, Zeus does not exist. That God does exist. That is God. I mean, this whole series is called The Crucified God. That is God. What is the posture of God toward a world of sinners? Is it left? No. Is it right? Yes. Is it the picture on the left? Holding a thunderbolt, pointing an accusatory. Again, I will acknowledge, if you want to, if you are bound and determined to hold to that vision of God, you can cobble it together with a half a verse here and another verse there, and you can do that. If you would like some help on doing that, I'll show you how to do it, and you can become an awful person. But I can show you other verses too. And so where do, where do we go to find out what God is really like? We go to the cross. Because being disguised under the disfigurement of an ugly crucifixion and death, Christ nailed to that cross is paradoxically the clearest revelation of who God is. God's like that. Thank you, Lord, is right. Now, does this mean sin is without consequence? Of course not. And don't you dare tell anybody I said anything remotely like that. And if you hear anybody say, Pastor Brian just doesn't believe there's any consequences to sin. You tell them, you better be glad that he doesn't have a thunderbolt because that's not true. No. As we put, it, put, the, put that back up. Put the Jesus one back up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the cross one. The, yeah. Well, it, I don't care. Just put, put up whatever you got. There we go. There we go. That is what sin does. Sin comes with enormous consequences. And until we come to the healing embrace of the crucified Savior, sin will take that kind of destructive toll upon our lives. If you can understand it, this is what we, we mean by the wrath of God. That God has given us real being and real existence and there are real consequences from our actions. But if you want to understand on a little deeper level, you can understand this. We are more punished by our sins than for our sins. It's not that, first of all, God is just, he is so great. He really can't be personally offended by you. It's just, can I say it's beneath him? Oh, they just... That, that's not God. But God has created a world that has consequences. And if you move away from God and his will and just the right way of being a human being, there will be the awful toll of sin taken upon your life. Call that the wrath of God if you like. Because the Bible does. But it isn't because God is personally mad at you. His only disposition towards you is constant love. But if we run away from that love, we can be the prodigal in the pig pen. 
Is the pig pen the wrath of the father? No, but if you want to understand it that way, you can. It doesn't matter. The prodigal's in the pig pen until he decides to come home. That's, the, that's what counts. The fact is that any time the prodigal moves towards the father, the father moves towards the son and embraces and forgives him because he only has one disposition towards sinners and that is love. The cross shows that sin is exceedingly sinful, to use a phrase from the Apostle Paul. Look what it does to Jesus. If you want to, is, is sin no big deal? I'm flabbergasted that you would suggest such a thing. Look what it did to Jesus, who is God. No, sin is exceedingly sinful. But the cross also shows that God is exceedingly merciful. Father, forgive them. Not a payment. It's simply the outpouring of God's forgiving love. On the cross, Jesus reveals God's eternal disposition toward the sinner, and that is one of self-sacrificing love. The cross is where God's love triumphs over the worst that sin can do. And when we respond to God's love with humility and love, which is repentance, instead of ignoring, saying it's irrelevant, it doesn't matter, God doesn't exist, I don't care, I'll go my own way. When we respond to God's love with humility and love, which is repentance, the healing begins. Because God's hands are not with the left hand pointing an accusatory finger and with the right hand holding a thunderbolt. God's hands have been nailed to the tree bearing your sin and saying, forgive them. And now you're invited to come to his healing embrace because this is not his posture. This is his posture. And he invites you to come. And so, stand with me. Did this message by Brian Zahn help you understand that God is not violent? Or at least did it introduce this idea to you and now you're hopeful, maybe, that it could be true? That what Jesus revealed to us about God is true about God? That, that, is, that, that, that Jesus is what God is truly like? That uh, one of the things Jesus revealed is that God has always been dying for the sins of humanity, that God has always been taking the blame for our sin? Listen, if this idea is new to you, I understand. It's, 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 uh, yeah, it was new to me several years ago, and I've been processing it ever since, thinking it through, studying text, studying passages, writing about it. So I understand if you have questions. But listen, if you have questions, don't just uh, reject it out of hand. Uh, come over to theology.fm slash Zahn slash 06 and leave a question. Go ahead, leave a question. And if I'm able to, I'll pass it on to him, see if he can answer it. I'll probably weigh in on it and see what I can say about it as well. Uh, if you have concerns, uh, that, that, that'd be the place to do it. Uh, leave leave a, a comment in the comment section for this podcast episode. And uh, listen, other people will learn from your questions as well. It's okay to ask questions. Uh, of course, if you believe that Brian Zahn is just crazy 
or that I am, or we're heretics or something, you know what, come leave a comment to that effect also. I don't care. If you believe God is truly violent, uh, then, then come state your case. Uh, although, if you believe that, um, I have a question for you as well that I would like you to answer in the comments section. And, and the question is this. Uh, if God is truly violent, how is it that Jesus can fully reveal God to his disciples and to us, but never exhibit any murderous or retaliatory violence against anybody else ever at any time? I mean, if, if he fully is revealing God to us, then wouldn't that pretty important element, aspect of God from the Old Testament make its appearance somewhere in the life of Jesus? And it just doesn't. So was Jesus hiding that from us? And if so, how is it that he's fully revealing God? How can he say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Anyway, that's my question for you if you believe God is violent. And if you, I'm sure you have questions for me, go ahead and ask them in the comment section. I'll do my best to respond. Uh, that's it for this uh, week's episode. I hope you appreciate it. Hey, and if you appreciated this podcast episode, would you go leave a rating and review at iTunes? Those ratings and reviews are going to sort of help other people know what the podcast is about and whether they too should be listening. And that way they can be encouraged and challenged just as you have. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. See you in two weeks when we take another look at another topic in theology.fm.